That was our sister Kimberly White. Just doing a powerful spoken word piece. Let's give it up one more time for Kimberly. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell them, Happy Easter. Tell them, I'm glad you got out of bed this morning. All of us resurrected from our sleep today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Today is a beautiful day. Amen. Amen. And today I want to tell you about God. Every time you come into the house of the Lord, it's to find out more about God. It's to find out more about him and about his heart, his heart for you, his heart for other people, because it's not all about you. His heart for the nations, his heart for the world, the plan and destiny he has for your life. But more than your life, it's really about his life. And when you come into the house of God, it's all about getting a new revelation, a deeper revelation about him. Man, I'm so glad to be here today. You glad to be here today? Some of you are like, no, someone dragged me here. It's Easter, so this is the one day out of the year I'm going to come to church. But I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. And then I want you to flip over, put one finger there, and then flip over one page to Acts chapter 1. John is in the New Testament. And make it real easy for you, Acts comes after John. Some of you have your smartphones, so scroll to John chapter 20. And uh, today I want to talk to you about the resurrection. But I want to talk to you about the resurrection today, not just simply because it's Easter. I wasn't a Christian growing up, so when I heard about Easter, all I thought about was bunnies and eggs. Especially, we did go to church on Easter, like every once in a while, and I only thought of Easter because... And only liked going to church for Easter as a kid because they had the Easter egg hunt. And there was always this one golden egg that had $20. And for a kid, $20 was a lot. Like you could buy like everything. You thought you could buy a new life with $20, you know. And so I remember just going to church on Easter and we do the Easter egg hunt. And I was only looking for the golden egg. So I would find all the other eggs, open them up, take the candy, close it, put it back out, and then keep looking for that golden egg. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Don't judge me. 67.5% of you just judge me. You know, it's not about the resurrection simply because today's Easter. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have Christianity. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have life change. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have the gospel. If you don't have the resurrection, there is no good news. If there's no resurrection, none of us would be here today. 
None of us would be in this place worshiping, lifting up our hands, singing songs. Maybe some of you singing for the first time. None of us would be here today without the resurrection. The resurrection is actually the cause why the West is the way it is today. You wouldn't have the universities you have without the gospel, without the resurrection. You wouldn't have modern medicine without the resurrection. Some of you are like, no, that's not true. You got to do your history. Western rationalism, as we understand it today, came from the resurrection because people, believers, they understood that God cared about the body enough to resurrect it, meaning he also cared about your mind and your body. Therefore, they decided to study it. Maybe you didn't know that today. You just learned something. Tell your neighbor, I just learned something. The resurrection is important because your ability and the level in which you believe in the resurrection determines your level of faith. And the level of God's power and goodness and the Christian walk that you walk in. It's all contingent upon the resurrection. I didn't realize this until later on in my my Christian walk. Because I thought it was just about the cross. You know, Good Friday service comes and I'm there. I'm at the Good Friday service looking at the cross, crying like a baby. But never realizing that if there's no resurrection... That Friday isn't good. I'm going to talk to you about the resurrection. We're going to read from John chapter 20. And then we're going to read from verses 1 to 18. We're going to flip around a bit. Uh, We're going to go back to this in Acts chapter 1 as well. I'm going to read two verses. You read the next. And then we'll go back and forth until we uh, get to verse 18. John chapter 20. Reading from the ESV. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Man, that's early. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. By the way, if you don't have your Bible, just look at the person next to you. Don't be creepy about it, but just look at their Bible. And uh, we're going to keep reading. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. (laughs) 
Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And let's read verse 18 together. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. Now turn over to Acts chapter 1 and we're going to read one verse. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Let's read it all together. One, two, three. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today. This truly is a day that you've made. This truly is a day that you have fashioned. This is truly a day that you have set apart for us today. And today, God, we choose to rejoice We thank you that joy is a choice, that seeing you, letting your truth come into our heart, God, is a choice. And so, God, today we choose to rejoice and to be glad in you. I pray as the word goes out, God, it would go out with power. I pray, God, that you would give me strength, give my body strength as I preach this word, God. God, I pray for your anointing to come and for lives to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we see here in John chapter 20, what happens in John chapter 19 is the crucifixion. Jesus is taken. He's shamed. He's nailed to the cross for our sin. He dies. He gives up his spirit as Kimberly so eloquently put. He's fully dead. Joseph and Nicodemus, these two disciples, they take his body and they wrap it in in traditional Jewish cloths with the spices on, on the linens. He's dead. He's completely dead. They, the coroners came in. Everyone knows it. They pierced his side to prove it. He's dead. They bury him. The next day, Mary gets up early while it was still dark. I started working out this week and I've been going to, I've been believing the Lord for 6 a.m. grace, meaning that I can get up at 6 a.m. every day and work out. I'm not used to getting up and it's still kind of being dark outside. You know, I got up and I was like, no, it's 3 o'clock. I'm going to go back to sleep. And I looked and it was 6. And I could just hear the Lord saying my prayers back to me. You asked for 6 a.m. grace. <laughs> All right. Mary, it's, she goes early. They laid him, they laid Jesus in the tomb and it began to be dark outside. They, that's why they had to hurry and find a place to do it. But then early in the morning, there wasn't much time. Jesus, well, Mary goes to see this tomb. She's just going to stand outside and mourn. But all of a sudden the stones rolled away. She looks inside and she thinks someone has stolen Jesus's body. Imagine if you were Mary in that situation. Like, I would have freaked out. I would have called my cousins. I would have called everyone. And I would have gotten the police. Mary goes and gets Simon and John. I guess it's a different standard back then. She goes and she, she sees that he's not there. And then the disciples, they run. They run. Simon Peter runs. And it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John writing about himself. They say that he, he ran as well. And then John writes that the disciple whom Jesus loved actually outran Peter. 
you know, if I'm going to write the Gospels, I would say I'm faster too, right? (laughs) So he writes this. He writes this account, and he says they get there, and they look inside the tomb, and the body's not there. The cloths are there. Even the face cloth that was over him is actually neatly folded, meaning Jesus rose from the dead, had enough time to do his laundry, and walked out. I want you to understand what's going on because I'm going to tell you three things about the resurrection today. They go in, Mary looks, they see the cloths, they turn around, they, they leave, but Mary stays because Mary was the same Mary who broke the alabaster jar at his feet. Mary was the same Mary who had saw her brother Lazarus, who is dead, be rose again. Mary had knew, known Jesus to be someone who was close and intimate. So when everyone else was satisfied and left, Mary stayed. So Mary stays. She sees these two angels. She sees these two angels and she has a conversation with the angels. Have you, have you seen them? And they're like, woman, what are you looking for? Then behind her is a man. And the Bible tells us it was actually Jesus. It was Jesus standing there and she doesn't recognize it's Jesus. And actually that could make a lot of sense because they disfigured Jesus to a certain degree that he was, you could believe he was almost rec- unrecognizable. They beat him to death. They, they tortured him. They, they did so many things to his body. It makes sense for her actually not to recognize him. But then he says her name. And the intimacy in which she sa- he says her name, Mary, opens up her eyes. There's power when God says your name. She realizes that this is the Lord, so she grabs him. I want to tell you, the first thing I want you to know about the resurrection is that the resurrection was instant, and it was complete. When Mary saw Jesus, Jesus was fully alive. I know when I was first thinking about the resurrection, even hearing about it when I would go, like on those Easter Sundays, just to get the eggs, and people would talk about how this guy, Jesus, rose from the dead. I kind of believed that he maybe progressively resurrected, you know? Like he came up like a zombie or came up like out of Thriller, you know? Just. <laughs> a kid. But seriously, so many of us, we actually believe in a partial resurrection. Like that Jesus, when he resurrected, he, you know, it took some time. Maybe over the course of the night, first, you know, his head came to life, then his heart, then his body, then the rest of him. And now all of us, now he's fully alive when he stands before Mary. But when Jesus was resurrected, it was an instant resurrection. It was a full resurrection. It was a complete resurrection. Why do I say this? I say this because it is important for you to know and to believe that the resurrection was instant. And that it was complete. Because Romans 6, 4 says that we ourselves have been buried with Christ in baptism. And through the glory of the Lord, just like Christ was resurrected, we too are resurrected with Christ. And we walk in the newness of life. But too many believers don't believe in an instant change, an instant resurrection. We believe in a partial one. We believe that God does resurrections over time. That he did it with Jesus over time. And therefore, in our own personal Christian walk, we don't believe that God can change us instantly. We believe it happens progressively. 
We believe that when we pray the sinner's prayer and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not an instant transformation. It's progressive. You hear what I'm saying today? You know, I I ask you how you're doing. Well, you know, I still got some dead things in my life. I still got some dead areas in my life I need to get rid of. Even right now, if I ask you, what are some dead areas in your life? I'm sure there's some things that would come to mind. Because for many of us, we believe that when we pray the prayer and when God's Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not a full, instant, and complete change. We believe it's a partial one. It's progressive. I'll change over time. Anger. I became a Christian, but don't expect that to change overnight. Sexual addiction. I, I, I prayed the prayer. It's a process, right? Lust, greed. These dead things that we hold on to. We don't, many of us, we still think that we're, we still think it's a part of our, our body, right? Like it's like a dead, a dead arm. And we're just, we're just trying to get through our Christian walk. You know, it's like a, a messed up knee. And we're just limping along. But see, when Jesus was resurrected, it was an instant resurrection. And you've got to understand, because your belief in his resurrection determines what you believe about your own. If you believe that his resurrection was partial, then it makes perfect sense for you to believe that yours was too. And then here's the whole thing. When God starts telling you, the thing about any dead limb is that you can't keep a dead limb for too long. You go to the doctor. If there's any area, when I was a little kid, I I had really bad eczema, the skin disease. And it was so bad that they said, like, I used to scratch night and day. It was so bad that they said, Marcus, you're you're on the the brink of getting blood poisoning, which is going to cause literally your your legs to die. And we're going to have to amputate both your legs. See, when something dies and it's a part of your body, what do you got to do? You got to cut it off. But see, the problem is, is that so many of us believe that we have these dead areas in our lives. And it's really hard to cut off a dead limb, ain't it? If I gave you a saw and said, just go at it on your arm. No, I could put a gun to your head. All of you are going to say no. If I said a pinky. Someone put a gun in my head and said, just take your pinky. Just, I won't shoot you. Just take the pinky. I'd be like, listen, you just take the whole thing. <laughs> Pink, le- Pastor Marks, I'll make a deal with you. I won't shoot you. Just take the pinky toe. Like, no, no. No, it's so, it's, so, it's so hard. Let me tell you the, the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is when the devil tells you that those dead areas in your life are still a part of you. Condemnation is when the devil says, yeah, you've prayed the sinner's prayer. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Yeah, you've been regenerated, but you still got these dead limbs. And any of us trying, and that's why it's so hard for so many of us to change. Because when we read the Bible and Jesus says, you know, if anything causes you to sin, cut it off. We're like, Jesus, it's my arm. I'm going to get this thing back. 
It seems like it's too hard for us to let go of that sin or to let go of that area or to let go of that part of our life because we still think that it's a part of us. But conviction is different. See, conviction is when the Holy Spirit shows you that that dead area of your life is no longer a part of you. I want to tell you about a man named Lazarus. Everyone say Lazarus. Lazarus is an event of a resurrection that we see in the New Testament. Like I said, he was the brother of Mary and Martha. Now, Lazarus gets sick. And he was a close friend of Jesus. And so Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick and dying. And like many of us, you know, you find out a friend is dying. You're going to rush to his side, right? Jesus took his time. They're like, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dying. He's about to die. He takes his, he takes like the, the long way. He gets there. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is standing outside and Jesus says something very peculiar. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus gets up. And when Lazarus walks out, like I said, he did not. It was an instant resurrection. He didn't come out like thriller either. He, he did not. Jesus is like, oh, okay. let me lay my hands on your arm. That arm ain't right yet. Oh, let me lay my hands on your knee. No, he was completely alive from head to toe. And then here's what Jesus says to him. He doesn't say, Lazarus, you got, man, you got a dead hand. You need to get rid of that. You got a dead foot. We got to take care of that. He says, Lazarus, take the grave clothes off. See, he had resurrected Lazarus. Lazarus was fully alive. And the only thing that was dead on Lazarus was the clothes he was wearing. He said, take the dead clothes off. Take the grave clothes off. See, many of us think that sin is something that is a part of us. But really, when we come to faith in Christ, it's no longer a part of us. We're dead to sin, made alive in Christ. And now the only sin in our lives is just bad clothes we're wearing. And it's much easier for me to take off this jacket for it than it is for me to take off my hand. See, many of you have thought that you struggle with sin because it's a part of you. But the issue is that you've been deceived. See, Satan wants you to think that sin is still a part of you. So then it costs you so much to get rid of it. But Jesus has already paid the price for that. And so therefore, when you get rid of sin, it's just clothes that can be replaced. In fact, the Bible says he gives you new clothes. Are you hearing me today? You guys got to wake up. We're talking about the resurrection. You can't be asleep. When we realized that the resurrection was instant, that it was complete in the moment that Jesus did it, that tells us that every sin that we have in our lives, it is not a part of us anymore. It is just something that we need to take off. That thing that you thought you were struggling with your entire life and it's never going to change and it's always going to hold you down and you're always going to be in that place. God's telling you today that you just need to take the grave clothes off. Amen. Somebody's life's going to change today. The second thing you need to know about the resurrection is that it was spiritual, everyone say spiritual, spiritual, and bodily, and natural. When Jesus resurrects, 
and he comes back and, and Mary sees him. It says something very interesting. It says that Mary jumped and she, well, it doesn't say that, but Jesus, it says that Jesus saw her and he says, Mary. And then the next thing that Jesus says is, do not cling to me. That tells us, if you can use a little bit of inference, that Mary was holding on to him for dear life. And Jesus was like, listen, Mary, you got to get up off me. I got some business to attend to. And we read in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus was with them for how long? 40 days. Everyone say 40 days. That means that when Jesus resurrected, he did not come back like Casper, the friendly ghost. Many of us actually believe that if you stop and think when you picture the resurrection, what do you picture? Most of us picture Jesus come, oh, Mary. Woman, do not cling to me. Jesus was with them for 40 days and he ate and he drank. Now, I don't know what kind of television shows you've been seeing, but I've never heard of a ghost that can eat or drink. Actually, I don't really believe in ghosts. If you read the Bible, any area where it talks about ghosts, they're demons. Jesus did not resurrect as a ghost. He didn't just resurrect in the spiritual. He didn't just come back like a, like a mist, like a cloud, and he was just, hey, everyone, I'm back. I told you I'd be back. No, when Jesus came back, he came back not just spiritually, but also naturally in the body. And I want to tell you why this matters. Because so many believers, they only have a picture of the resurrection that is spiritual and not natural. And because they only see God's power manifesting in a spiritual sense and not in a natural sense, they only have faith for God to change their Bible reading, their prayer time, and their Sunday activities. I believe in God. That's why I go to church on Sunday. You know, I meet so many people on the street, and, I'm, and they ask, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And for some reason, every person I meet on the street is a Christian. Every person. Without fail. Yeah, Pastor, I, I read my Bible all the time. I read my Bible. I'm like, why did you just bump your chest? <laughs> you know, Pastor, I read my Bible. I pray. I pray all the time. I go to church on Sundays. I go to church uh, every Sunday. No, well, not every Sunday, but, you know, stuff comes up. But I do it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm spiritual. As if Jesus only cared about your spiritual walk. See, Christ didn't come to earth to change your spiritual walk. He came to change your natural one. God could have changed your spiritual one from heaven. Christ didn't come to go to the cross to change just your spiritual walk. He did it also to change your natural one. He didn't resurrect in the body just to change your Sunday activity. He did it to change your activity from Monday to Sunday, Monday to Sunday, Monday to Sunday, everything and everything you experience. He did it. He came back in the flesh for that purpose. You hearing me? See, when we don't believe that Christ came back in the natural, then what happens is that our, we have faith for God to change our prayer life and to help us read the Bible more, to at least help me stop doing this one thing. 
you know, I got this area that I need to get changed, but I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. And then all of a sudden we have faith for that area. We have faith for everything that's spiritual. But when we have a family member that's sick and in need of healing, we don't have faith that God will heal them. When we have issues in our finances, let's put our finger there. We don't think that the resurrection was meant to also touch our finances. We don't think that God's resurrection power was meant to touch our families, meant to touch our workplace, meant to touch every area of your life. But Jesus came back in the flesh in order to show you that he cares about your natural needs. He desires to change not just what you pray here on Sunday, but to answer the prayers that you pray on Monday. And he desires for you to see the benefit of it, for you to see him move, for you to experience his grace, for you to know his presence, for you to know his blessing. That's what the resurrection was about. That's why it wasn't just spiritual. It was natural as well. It's funny. I was so sick this week. I was so sick. I didn't. I was at home from Thursday all the way Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was at home. I went to the doctor. They said I have an upper respiratory infection. They said my thyroid's jacked up. But right now I feel really good. I was actually even praying that. I said, God, heal me while I'm preaching. I feel good right now. I'm going to the gym right after church. <laughs> I want to tell you something, too, about this whole aspect of God's resurrection power touching your natural life. God's not afraid of your doubts. He's not intimidated by your doubts. Too many of us, we give our doubts so much power. But I want you to look at someone that we that is labeled doubting. I want you to look at chapter 20 and I want you to look at verses 24 to 28. I'm going to read it out. I want you to just read along with me. If you don't have your Bible, once again, just try not to be a creep about it, but just look over at your neighbor. Now, Thomas. John 20, 24 to 28. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. The other, he had appeared to the other disciples, and he showed them his hands inside, and they believed, but Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, Thomas is intense, I will never believe. <laughs> Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That's crazy. And said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. In Acts 1.3, it says that Jesus he was fully alive, and he, after his sufferings, he went about with many proofs. He showed that he was alive by proving it. 
See, the resurrection, God manifesting his power into your life is one of the only areas where God is like, you know what? I'm going to prove it to you. And he's not afraid to prove it to you in the exact areas where you have doubts. See, many of us, when, our, when we feel doubts about God breaking in, we tell other people instead of telling God. We tell other people, I don't really believe that. But when you tell God, you say, God, I don't really, I'm having trouble believing. See, Jesus wasn't even with the 12. But he walked in and he knew exactly how Thomas needed to touch him. He knew exactly how Thomas needed to experience him in order for Thomas to believe. And I want to tell you, Jesus is willing to do that for you. I want to tell you a story real quick. Can I tell you a story? When we first started this church plant, um, I was leading a small group with two guys. Um, one guy's name was Yas, and Yas is a man of God. He, don't, he won't mind me putting his name out there, and Zach. And when I first started meeting with them, Yas was from New Zealand by way of the Netherlands. Uh, Zach was from Seattle. And so um, two white guys, I love them to death. It was really interesting. Like, we were like, why did they put us together? And, and then I think Zach was like, because we're all minorities here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Zach. I love Zach. But I want to tell you, it was an interest. They will even admit, in the beginning of our small group when we met, it was one of the most interesting times ever. Because I think, like, the second week or the first week we met up, and I was like, guys, you need to read your Bible. Read, just read your Bible. And I remember they were like, why? I don't want to read my Bible. Why do I have to read my Bible? And then Zach's like, yeah, I don't want to read my Bible either. I was like, what is going on? It's the two stooges. What's happening? Right? And they would, like, each week they would test me. But, like, the fourth week, I remember particularly, this was, like, the biggest test of all. I want to tell you, if you're in a small group, don't, don't do this to your leaders. I think, like, Yas comes in. And Yas comes in, and he's, he's so funny. Yas just sits there, and I'm like, how's it going, guys? How are your weeks? And Yas just sits there, and he folds up his arms and looks at me. I can't do a New Zealand accent, so I'm just going to do whatever comes to mind. Uh, I'm tired of... No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Yas is sitting there, and he's like, you know, I'm really tired of this Christian thing. I'm like, okay. All right. It's beginning a small group. We ain't even done Bible study yet. I ain't even got my coffee. We're in Tom and Tom's in Itaewon. And y'all sits down. And he's like, you know, you know, I've been hanging out with a lot of my atheist friends. And uh, they've been asking me questions. And I can't really answer them. And so it's getting me to think, man, man, maybe this whole Christian thing is just stuff I've been following because of my, my grandfather's fo followed it. And my dad followed it. I'm just following the religion of some old people before me. And I'm like, okay, first off, and I ain't got anything against atheists, but. You got to this because your atheist friends told you? He said, yeah. I'm like, that makes no sense. Who goes into a room with a blind person and asks them if the light is on? No one. But I was atheist for six years in my life, so I understood. So I was like, okay. All right. He's like, yeah, I don't think I believe in this Jesus stuff anymore. I think, it, I think it's all just made up stuff. This whole resurrection stuff, it's all made up. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, do I rebuke him? Do I smack him? <laughs> do I kick him? Do I love him? What do I do? And I just sit there and I just hear God just saying, Marcus, 
just say okay. I'm like, okay. And as soon as I say okay, Zach flips out. He said, okay? Okay? Like, really? Like, you're going to allow him to do this? Okay? He's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, okay, Zach, calm down. I don't know why you are so perturbed about this. He's the one who said he doesn't believe. Why are you mad at me? He said, you just said okay. I was like, okay. I said, okay, Yas, this is what we're going to do. I said, Yas, I don't have the answers because I'm not God. If you want to know God, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. And then and over this week, I just want you to pray sincerely. Say, God, if you're real, if you're more than just this God of my fathers, if you're real, show up. See, many people who say they don't believe in God, if you ask them to pray, they won't pray. Why is it that we're so willing to bring our doubts before people, but not before God? Is it because we are afraid that he may answer? But Yas, he said, okay, I can do it. And so I sat there and we just prayed. I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, just make yourself known to him in his life in a way that he can understand. I said, okay. Zach's still looking at me like he wants to punch me. So I go home and I go to my prayer closet and I start praying. And I'm praying and I'm just praying for Yas and I'm praying for Zach. And then like 10 minutes in, God says, stop praying. It's done. I said, oh, Okay. So I got up, made a sandwich. <laughs> I was like, it's done. I, I, I mean, if God said it's done, he hears me, he answers. I guess it's done. I'm going to make a sandwich, get some chips, watch a movie. And so I did. And then, and I don't talk to Yas the entire week. I don't talk to Yas the entire week. I see Yas again that next week because we agreed, you know, if you're going to put yourself to the test, be a man. Make sure to come back next week and uh, hold to your commitment. So he said, okay, I'll be a man. I'll come back. We come back that next week. I don't see him the whole week. He's early. Yas was early. Yas was never early. He is early, and he's got a smile on his face, and I'm looking at him trying to figure out what has happened. He's like, hey, man, check this out. I'm like, okay, all right. I, I pull up a chair. Zach's like ready to go, you know? And he says, right six months ago, I had two friends that came. You remember these two friends? They came, and when they left... One of them gave me a letter to give to a friend of mine. And I was like, okay, yeah, I remember, I remember them leaving. And I met up with that friend that I gave the letter to this week. And it turned out that when one of the friends left and she gave me that letter, there were two letters. And that one of the letters wasn't, that the letters weren't just meant for that friend, but one of them was meant for me. I was like, okay, all right, it's letters. I'm like guarding my heart, like hoping she didn't like confess her love or anything. <laughs> I've got to do some, like, deep shepherding for him right now. And uh, he's like, the whole letter was her just saying, Yas, I'm so encouraged to see a man of God like yourself. The way that you live and the kind of faith that you embody has caused me, has changed my life. And it's made me want to live more for Jesus. I was like, okay. I was like, that's good. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, it really encouraged me. I was like, okay, that, that's God showing up? Like, mm, you know? <laughs> And then he says, like, me and, me and Zach, we're, like, already high-fiving. We're happy. But part of him is like, oh, you know. And he's like, wait, but there's more. Okay, here we go. Jesus. And then he says, you know, I'm really close with my dad. So I sent my dad an email back home telling him 
I'm going through these struggles. I'm going through these struggles, and I feel like this Christian walk is just something that my, my grandfathers have done, but not, not me. I don't have a personal relationship, and it's just something that everyone else has done except for me. And, and so he says, yeah, I just did that, and then I prayed. And then my dad sent me another email. My dad replied. And I want you to listen to this story because this was, I think, I definitely was, like, wanting to cry Zach was crying. Zach's going to listen to this, and he's going to be like, oh, Mark is so stupid. But I love him. Um, His dad said, well, Yoss, I want to tell you about your grandfather and your great-grandfather. When Yoss's grandfather and great-grandfather were living in the Netherlands, it was during the time of Nazi occupation. And during the time of Nazi occupation, what happened was his grandfather and his great-grandfather were taken in, and they were put in, in, in prison internment camps on opposite sides of the city that they were in. And so they were separated from one another on opposite sides of the city. But then one day, as Yas's grandfather is sitting there in the prison, the Nazi jailers, they come, they open up the door, and they say, you're free to go. They don't give him any explanation. They don't tell him anything. He's just free to go. So he gets up. He's wondering what's going on. He walks out. He walks out into the city. The city's stranded because, obviously, Nazi occupation. No one's going to be chilling on the street. He walks out, and he's walking all the way, and he walks to the train station. And he goes to the train station, and there's no one at the train station except for this man who's sleeping on the bench. And so Yasser's grandfather walks up to the man sleeping on the bench, and he taps him and says, Hey, sir, do you know when the next train is? And when the guy turns over, it's his father. They embrace, they share the story, and then here's what happened. Yas's grandfather was let out of, he was let out of the prison, right? The Nazis came, they said, you're free to go. Well, Yas's grandfather, the same day the Nazi jailers went to their, that camp, went to him, opened up the doors and said, you're free to go. And then it just so happened that the place that they met, they had not planned it. It was, he thought it was another, he just thought it was some old man was at the train station right there in the city. Y'all starts, he's speaking this to me, and he says, it's crazy. What's crazy? He says, the exact place where I doubted God's power to show up, the exact place in my life where I had doubts was the exact place where God decided to show me his faithfulness. The exact place that I had been holding on to and thinking that God was too big for God and the exact place I was using as a reason against God, God turned it around and showed me that it was a reason for him. See, God did the same thing for Thomas. He does the same thing for us. The resurrection, and that was God's power in a natural way. It wasn't like angels showed up or anything. God used Nazi jailers. But that's our God. The resurrection is not just about a spiritual reality. It's about a natural one, too. And the third thing I want you to know. Is that the resurrection, it took an eternal death. And made it an instant. But it took an instant life and made it eternal. 
I'm going to say that again. The resurrection was proof that Jesus has taken what we, had all, what we all fear, which is eternal death, and he made it instead an instant. And it's proof that he's taken what we, most of us think is an instant, this life. You know, you only live once. <laughs> you live once for an eternity. He took what we all think is an instant and he made it eternal. See, most of us walk around. Our biggest fear is not rejection. Our biggest fear is not, you know, poverty or sickness or disease. Our biggest fear is death. And the reason why we fear death so much is because we believe that death lasts longer than life. We believe that death is the cessation of all things. We believe that death is eternal, that it's going to last longer than this life that I'm living. But the resurrection was full proof that death only lasts an instant, but that life is eternal. I want you to look in Acts, Acts chapter 1, that same verse, verse 3. Luke, the writer of Acts, he wrote, he, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his, does he say death? No. Does he say, does he say crucifixion? No. Does he say, does he say murder? No. He doesn't say death. He says suffering. He doesn't say death because Jesus conquered death. He doesn't say death because death doesn't have a hold any longer. He doesn't say death because death has simply become a light and momentary thing. The Bible says it in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, the resurrection, and I want, I want to close it with this, the resurrection is proof that God has taken what was what we think is eternal and made it an instant. So many of us fear death. And so what we do is we put all our resources towards trying not to die. We put all our resources towards trying to get the approval of people, trying to get the approval of others, trying to get more money, trying to get more and more and more, because at the end of it, we're all trying not to die. But the resurrection is proof that you don't have to you don't have to put your resources in that bank account. It's empty. The resurrection is proof that you don't have to fear death and that everything that you experience here on this earth, every hardship that you go through, everything that you feel like that is pressing down on you too much. It's temporary. It will end. And at the end of it is life. And life abundant. This changes the way that we live. We no longer walking around afraid of people because we're afraid of suffering and death, but we recognize that Jesus has conquered it. We're able to truly live. We're able truly to fix our resources towards knowing Christ, which is eternal life. I want us to go into a moment of prayer right now.